0: Hi, I'm Bernard Leung, and you may know me as the executive who visits a lot of startups and take a look at whether they are involved in and satellite imaging. And in my spare time, I would like to find out what AFLIR is doing as a startup incubator across the Asia-Pacific region. And today with me is Magnus Grimland, founder and CEO of AFLIR, the new incubator that has just started based in Singapore. And here we are in WeWork. Welcome, Magnus. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Really look forward. Yeah, so we met through Lisa Engel and Andres Enk, who have all been my show. And I know this is a new initiative that you have started and you have actually a pretty interesting career background that actually I want to go in touch with. uh, But to start off is, how do you start your career?
1: Yeah, so interesting, right? I originally come from Norway. I grew up on a farm in Norway in a small town called Sanda. And got my international career first through United World College. I was actually lighting up the fireplace, this farm, when I read about this international school in in Wales, uh, where they brought in people from 82 nations uh, to learn about international relations from all across the globe. So I went there for boarding school, did my IB. Then actually my first job was in the military, so I joined the Norwegian Navy and uh, joined the selection for the Norwegian uh, Navy SEALs, the Norwegian Naval Special Forces. That was my you know, first job. So really a Navy SEAL operator in, in, in the Norwegian Navy, which was very exciting because you combine, I think really the mental challenges with the uh, pretty heavy physical challenges. And uh, of course at the time, uh, very interesting in Europe because we're changing from you know, more of the Cold War focus to looking at what was ha- happening with the terrorism landscape. Really got to see that from you know a first first-person perspective. So that was exciting. Then after the military, I decided to go to the U.S. for education and ended up at Harvard. That's when I got probably exposed first to rapidly growing technology companies. Always been really interested in this space. Always been extremely excited about how new innovation, new technologies can enable you know significant change very very rapidly. Of course, we got to see some. Very exciting companies coming out of Harvard at the time. You know, I was there with Mark Zuckerberg at the time. You know, so when Facebook first launched, I knew everyone on Facebook. <laughs> now I only know some people on Facebook. <laughs> but you could really see kind of the impact technology had very rapidly. So, you know, at the time we started working on our first kind of tech business called Crimson Reading, which turned out to be a Pretty successful company, not not that big, but literally we were selling school books to uh, the Ivy League colleges in the US. Very very exciting. Then after you know Harvard, I decided that I really want to work more with technology, and I wanted to learn more about the world and how we could use uh, technology to impact a lot of people. Uh, I was lucky to get introduced to to a few people in, in McKinsey, which of course gives you the opportunity to work with some of the biggest and most influential companies across the globe in that value chain. Uh, So I started McKinsey, ended up over the next five years working with the entire technology value chain. So everything from semiconductor companies in in Taiwan and Asia to consumer electronics companies in Europe, the US and, and Asia to media companies, telco companies. So literally all the way up from the silicon to the actual content that people consume on silicon. Uh, so it was an exciting journey. I ended up helping launching a telco in India. Lot of very you know exciting projects, but realized that. After a while, it was time for me to step out and start building a business from scratch. At the time, you know, there was a lot of really exciting things happening in the e-commerce space. In Europe, we had this very exciting company called Salando, which is now turned into the biggest fashion e-commerce company in in Europe. And they were growing like crazy. I was speaking to a couple of, uh, you know, the investors there. Rocket Internet and Kinvik they were in the face of uh, launching a very exciting similar setup in Asia called Salora, and then came on board there as one of the co-founders which was super exciting you know we literally spent then uh, You know, the next year is building that out in Southeast Asia, which is very different from building e-commerce, literally, I'd say almost anywhere else. Because when we first started, you know, we had to think about things as how would you deliver a package from A to B? Well, if you launch e-commerce in Europe, you can plug into an existing logistics network and logistics ecosystem. We had to build... You know, a lot of last mile delivery networks I had to work on the IT platform, not only from our own perspective, but also the partners and the delivery companies we're working with taking payments, of course, very difficult at the time, with, you know, only a few percentage uh, credit card penetration and very few people on mobile wallets and etc. So, you know, we, we launched a lot of innovation within bank transfer and cash and delivery so literally spent most of my time in Solora we were several co-founders there my responsibility was working mostly with the markets and launching our marketplace so I spent literally almost all the time in Indonesia Philippines Vietnam Thailand Hong Kong Malaysia really building out all the country organizations turned out to become a really exciting company and now you know when I'm not there anymore it's really exciting to see it living on and you see it when you go to the movies you see the advertisements and of course a lot of customers you meet every day. So that has been very, very exciting. Encelora was acquired in 2015, which was very exciting by Global Fashion Group. I then joined the Global Fashion Group as the Chief Operating Officer. And suddenly we had fashion e-commerce companies all over the globe. And uh, got to work with the, the same type of uh, issues we were working with Encelora in, in India, Middle East, Eastern Europe, South America. And throughout this whole you know experience, we saw... You know the, the founders of these companies that were part of Global Fashion Group and also a lot of the other companies we were working with in the ecosystem were literally people who came out of similar type background as myself, right? You know, you take an education and then you started working for, for a bigger company or government and etc. But at some point in time, I decided to become an entrepreneur. And we started thinking a lot about, you know, how that had worked through Rocket Internet. We started thinking a lot about how that had worked in, uh, you know, similar type setups. And uh, that became like the beginning of the thinking about building the the platform. You have yeah. spent a
0: considerable amount of time in Rocket Internet and also the managing director of a lot of us in yeah. Southeast Asia. And then you became the chief operating officer of the Global Fashion Group, which takes all the fashion companies within the Rocket Internet portfolio and put it into as a global platform itself. And I think Rocket Internet, beat its reputation, what was interesting is that it also united a lot of startup ecosystems everywhere it also provided the training for the people who you may have worked with and then they go on to do different things in their life They maybe become startup founders I want to ask you this I mean you've been in the military special forces so this (laughs) is very interesting so what are the major learning takeaways in building and scaling a business from that experience yeah
1: so for sure I think you're completely right I think you know a lot of what Rocket I think was amazing at is, is really they were amazing at bringing in a lot of great talent from all over the world a combination of local and, and global talent and also amazing at, at execution, right? Just rapidly executing and scaling and a lot of the people who were involved there in the early days have gone on to build great businesses in the region after, like, for example, Nadim and Gojake, and you can mention a lot of other companies where people have spent a bit of time in the Rocket ecosystem. I think the major learnings from from that whole Solora and Rocket ex- experience is that a lot of like amazing founders come from a lot of different backgrounds, right? So, uh, and this is what we've seen in Antler as well, is that if you ask, you know, literally any kind of, gathering of really talented people, about 60% of them will say that they have an aspiration to become a founder at some point in time. And it's not self-evident who out of those 60% will end up doing it. There's a lot of people who probably would make an amazing founder, but because of, you know, social situation, or because they're deferring, or because of, you know, costs they have, and never take that leap. but. There is a tremendous amount of talent out there that given the right opportunity and a bit of push can go out and build the next big success uh, when it comes in the uh, you know technology ecosystem and contribute a lot to the world in that way. And probably more than they would in, in a less productive job. And that's probably my takeaway number one. There is so much talent out there that given the right you know push can really come out and become amazing founders. I think the other key... Learning is around the importance of rapid execution and and pivoting, right? You know, so, you know, if you have a business idea uh, that really makes sense and will contribute to the world in in, in a good way, when people see that you start working on that and you start having traction, then a lot of other people will try to do what you're doing. And the people who, in the end, will win, of course, they need to have the amazing team, which was what I spoke about first. And the second thing is they need to work on the right thing. But after that, it's really important to just execute way better than anyone else does. And in the end, they are the one who typically will win. Because in today's world, you're not in a situation where you typically can build out these types of moats that you could in the past, right? At once now, when there's a great idea and a great business model out there, and you have the right team executing on it, you really need to focus incredibly hard on just executing faster and better than the competition. Because... For sure, somebody else will try to do the same thing across the globe, right? So that, of course, was a major learning.
0: I, I want to ask you this question. You're in the special forces, so you have to do very difficult missions, and then you have to require you to build and scale fast. Yeah. Does that experience translate into your startup experience as well? <laughs> I think, you know,
1: it definitely is similar in certain aspects, right? So I think it should be similar. So. The thing is, when you're in the special forces and you're, you're on a mission or you're on... Even in just training exercises, you don't really have a choice not to succeed because the alternative to not succeeding is... It could, in the worst case, be death, right? And then, in the, in the, you know, the second best outcome is, is that something terrible happens, right? So you really don't have a choice about succeeding in the kind of special forces environment. And I think, you know, like amazing startup founders really need to think the same way, right? So when we were building Solora, right, it was never an option for us not to succeed. And when we're now building Antler, it's not an option for us not to succeed. And I think any founder we work with to build great companies, we want to have the same view, right? That there, it is just not an option to not succeed. And I think these are the guys who really, really do it tremendously well, right? So, you know, I mean, you mentioned a lot of examples. Almost any amazing founder out there has been in a situation where at some point in time things really didn't look that good, right? Look at Jeff Bezos on Amazon, now the world's richest man, right? I mean, in the very early days they were almost run out of money on a daily basis and they were fighting some some pretty big competition. who were way bigger than them at the time. And then you know, most founders might have given up, but then he ended up being in being, you know, one of the most exciting companies in the world. Look at Elon Musk and SpaceX, I mean, they almost ran out of money and all their early rockets exploded and most founders might have given up, but Elon Musk didn't and thereby he's become a successful founder. And I think that's the major learning, right? You know, don't give yourself a choice. So you will never get through, you know, the, the Navy SEAL selection process if you think it's an option not to do it. You just need to decide that there is no option. And when you're in, you really don't have a choice. You need to execute on what you're supposed to execute on. And it's literally the same thing you need to do as a founder. Because if, if at one point you as a founder think, hey, perhaps this, you know, perhaps this won't work or perhaps I won't be successful with this, that's the point you start having doubt and your whole team will have doubts. And then in the end, your company will die. But the ones who have the nascent to drive through to slide pivots, they will succeed. So I think that's a major similarity. So the near-death
0: experience is actually part of that entrepreneurial journey. So it comes to the main topic of the day. Yeah. I want to talk to you about your new ampler platform, it's a startup incubator as I understand it. Yeah. Maybe the first question I want to ask is what's the backstory behind the founding of Amplor as an incubator?
1: Yeah. Yes, the backstory is, you know, I started talking about it a little bit earlier, but it's really, we see all this tremendous talent out there with the ambition to build amazing businesses and innovate, who doesn't take the leap and end up doing it. At the same time, we see technologies having reaching maturity level now across a lot of different industries. If you look at, for example, IoT, if you look at what's happening with connectivity, if you look at what's happening with biotech, if you look at what's happening with blockchain, I mean, all these are reaching now a maturity level where the ability to use that technology to fundamentally change the world in a better way is bigger than ever. So you have the talent, you have the technology. What I think we are still lacking and where there's huge opportunities kind of bringing in more of that talent into great teams that are tackling and using that technology to solve big, big problems, right? So that's our mission, that's what we want to do. So Antler is there to kind of enable great founders to to build great businesses. And the opportunity is so big we have you know in the first part of what we did now we thought we wouldn't you know because we weren't known when we launched antler in back in january and we so we thought we were perhaps get a few hundred applicants for the first program but literally in a few months we we got 1500 applicants we selected 62 like AAA founders which really shows that the talent is there and the need is there for people to support them in building these great businesses and we looked at you know, the best companies out there, we look at the Y Combinator, tech stars. we look at the best VCs, how they were structured. I, of course, had my rocket internet experience. We looked at what we believe worked and what didn't to create a platform where these founders can come in. We support them with the expert networks, with capital, with, uh, you know, design, product, tech side, growth marketing, all of the elements you need to really succeed. But at the same time, it becomes a founder's company, right? We only invest... 100k for about 10% of the company. So it, the founders still own the company after. So, you know, we're not the venture builder per se. We're not really an incubator per se. Mm-hmm. We call ourselves a generator because we are there to help the founders generate great businesses. But in the end, it's not Antler's company. We own a small part of it, but it's the founder's company.
0: So you briefly described the vision and the mission of Antler. I have two questions. The first one is... How will you characterize the metrics for Antler such that you know that in two to three years' time it is successful?
1: Yes, so the number one thing that we want to have enabled at that point in time is, of course, we've seen a number of really great businesses coming out of our program. So, you know, in in three years' time, we will have had hundreds of of companies coming through our program. And uh, I'd like to see, you know, at least 20 to 30 percent of them becoming great and, and a few of them becoming globally re- renowned businesses who've had a great impact on the world I think the second thing is we'd love for some of these founders who've gone through our, our program and through building a great business be you know internationally renowned thought leaders and uh, uh, you know role models as founders uh, through the businesses that they built so those you know number one thing for us would be if our our founders are, are successful the, the second part for me is that we are in the position to serve founders all across the globe right now we're here in asia so about 60 percent of our founders now is, is from asia but we're just launched europe out of stockholm and we are going to expand into other parts of the world so in three years hopefully the dream is that if a founder wakes up anywhere in the world and they want to build a great business we are there to support them in doing so so i think those are kind of the main metrics. So, the second follow up
0: question is the following. So, you alluded to the point that Anther is not a startup incubator, accelerator, venture builder, but a generator, mm-hmm. right? Because if you look at the global market of incubator accelerators, they aren't doing very well, except for the, those that you know, the Y Combinator, the stars and uh, even rocket in, in, the, in the early days as well. Yeah. How do you see Antler as a generator would be able to overcome some of the weaknesses of the incubator? Maybe, maybe to frame it the other way is, what is the comparative advantage for Antler
1: to, in order for it to be successful? I think it's a great question. I think the problem with most incubators and venture builders is, in the end, you might end up in in a structure where the venture builder owns the vast majority of the company, which creates two big problems. Like one is that the founders don't have that buy-in; they don't have that you know tenacity. They don't have the thing we spoke about earlier, where failing is not an option. Because when you hit the wall, you feel more like an employee than it, it's yours. And then if you can't, if you you haven't created that type of feeling, it's not really a founder per se, and it's. And uh, the likelihood of not succeeding is just so much higher. And all companies, no matter how much support you get, will reach, will hit the wall multiple times before their success. So unless the founder, it's a founder's company, you're in big issues. So, so that's one, one topic. The other thing is, if the founder doesn't really own the company, you also struggle with getting other great partners on board later, right? So our mission is, when you look at the cap table of a company that Amplers supported building, support you won't really see a big difference between us and and an angel investor in terms of our ownership, but we become like an angel investor, but with a big platform supporting the startups, and this allows other ecosystem players to also come in and support the players later, right? You know, the best VCs out there will come in and invest. The best you know institutional and corporate players will come in and invest because there is space on the cap table to do so. like the, the founders will still own the big part of the business, even if the best VCs come in. And that, I think, is the dynamic that you need to create because, yes, great founders make great businesses happen, but also on the way they the greatest founders have gotten a lot of support from various institutions, either through capital or through the network that they have to be successful. And I think a lot of venture builders and incubators doesn't allow that to happen through the initial structure that that they haven't put in place so i think that's number one i think the second thing that really differentiates us is you know our talent acquisition setup so we are literally spending a tremendous amount of time reaching out to the best talent in the world and then you know we have a pretty comprehensive selection process to to get them in place i think that's the second element and the third is that we just focus on like really bringing in the whole ecosystem of thought leaders to support our startups. So if you look at our website, team, you will see that we are already here in the region, have about 70 or 80 thought leaders on board as advisors to support the startups, right? So just three differentiators.
0: So if I may ask who are the key people who are driving and <laughs> You're the CEO. You probably have a very good team. <laughs> and who are your major advisors to your company?
1: Yeah, great question. The main partners is uh, some of them, uh, I think at least one of them has been on the on the show before, Lisa and Kel. She's amazing. She's an amazing growth marketer and growth hacker. Uh, she's doing our marketing and, and PR and also supporting our portfolio companies on that. We have uh, Fritjof Berger Vegar Meb, both part of the global partner group, really supporting, uh, having supported and built the whole of whole Antler from scratch. We have Tyler Norwood and Yusuf Salavara, who are you know leading the Asia program? Tyler, I worked with for a long time. Uh, he was part of uh, helping to build uh, Solora and helping to build the uh, Global Fashion Group, and uh, has a lot of experience from the region. Yusu Salvara has been working with technology for the last decade, latest with uh, Nokia. And then we have Dylan. Is also Dylan Langraf, super great uh, CFO with a lot of experience from the private equity industry and and uh, knows really. How to manage that the money side of the business, which is going to be important from, from our startups as well as ourselves. And we have also a couple of like amazing Singaporeans as part of the leadership team here, uh, Chia and uh, Lin, mm. who you can also see on our website, to have a lot of experience from the region working with tech. We have Pierre, who's been supporting us also on the marketing side and the fundraising side. Who was part of being top out here in the region, which is one of the biggest kind of marketing agencies there. So. And then we have several others. So the team, I think, is super strong. Combination of, like, really successful founders, great with the great business experience, and a lot of experience from the region, but also some international flavor. Our chairman, Tor Mugl, used to be the global chairman of McKinsey, so has a lot of, uh, can open a lot of doors from our startups and founders. Mm-hmm. On the advisory side, you know, we really have three categories of people. So we have, like, great business leaders. So one example there would be Dominic Barton, he used to be the CEO of McKinsey globally? We have great academic talent, for example, Andre Schleifer, Karim Lakhani, who are professors at Harvard. We have local ones like Virginia Cha. Uh, and then we have the third category, which is uh, successful founders, where, you know, for example, Aaron Town, who's been building the uh, the carrier platform here uh, out of Singapore. So these are the advisors. On top of that we have venture partners who support us part-time. There's some really amazing people there. Andreas N, for example, who also been on your on your show before, part of building Spotify, CTO in Spotify, First Employee in Spotify. Just tremendous tech talent. We have Stefan Young who mm-hmm. you know was part of building Rocket Air in the region and then later has been building Ventura and invested in Grab Taxi, Prunetics, Shopback caro a lot of exciting startups here in the region we have tim marbeck been building asia venture group so really i think a tremendous amount of people who have built great businesses before or are thought leaders within their field and they're all there to support our founders be successful
0: one interesting process is you talk about the people who have applied to the incubator what is in the selection process to bring the entrepreneurs into the and I think the other question I probably should just ask together is what kind of traits does your team in Africa see in the entrepreneur when you bring them on board the program
1: great questions right so let me split it in three so one is like how do we get the leads so like how do people end up on our radar. So we do a lot of referrals So through our you know advisory network of about 70 people, uh, our partner team, our ranch partner team and just all our friends and mentors. We also have a list of about 350 mentors who support. We have also about 950 potential investors who want to kind of come in the fund. And so all of them refer founders to us. That's the best category of founders that we get. Then we also do a lot of uh, targeted outreach on LinkedIn and etc. We also do a lot of events at the relevant arenas where you meet great tech talent and then uh, people also just come and apply on our site so anyone can come to our site and apply at at antler.co so that's the funnel and it's increasing like crazy so just before we stopped recruiting for this cohort we received the same amount of applications in a day that we did in a week three weeks later so it's just going to get more harder and harder to get into to the program so you know if anyone's thinking about applying, they should rather apply now than a year from now because then it's going to get even harder to get in. But that's that's the So That's step number one. Step number two is then when we get the leads, what happens in the selection? First thing people have to do is fill in a self-assessment. And this is really for us to understand like you as a person. right? So what's your ambition? What's your vision? What's your background? What's your experience? That whole part, which is pretty standard in a job application. After that, we do a, a simple aptitude test, which is literally just... You should check the problems solving analytic capabilities. Then we do coding tests for people with the coding experience. Then we do a screening interview. Afterwards, there's an interview process with our partner group. And then after that, uh, there is a hackathon where we observe people live. Broadly, that's the whole process. So pretty extensive. Not all the founders go through the whole process, but almost everyone goes through the whole process. And the reason why we do this is, like anyone that comes in the program, we want them to work next to other people who are of the same caliber. So we just spend a lot of time really trying to find the best of the best. So that's, you know, the second point, like how we select. Now, what are we looking for? So this is back to what we spoke about earlier, right? It's just really hard to know who would be an amazing founder. We believe there are certain traits that are important that we're looking and looking for. So one thing that for me is critical is this having a spike, right? So, you know, having something where one feels one is better than the majority of the world at and it can be very different, right? So some people are amazing at just convincing people about stuff. Some people are amazing at, you know, just going deep, deep, deep into a problem and then understanding it better than anyone else. So it can be like a personality trait like that, It can also be like industry-specific traits. So let's say, you know, somebody just knows the shipping, a certain part of the value chain or the shipping industry better than anyone else. So it can literally be anything, but we believe that the best founders out there are quite spiking character, which is also why, you know, founders, you know, some people at times, they like successful founders, at times can be a bit weird, right? Which I think it's literally not weirdness. It's just like, super spiky character sets. So we're looking to find that spike, that strength. The second thing we're looking at is drive. You know, the ability to just get stuff done and, and work hard and achieving what you want to achieve. And then the third part which we think is critical is, is tenacity, which, which I think has been a kind of a red line through our whole conversation, right? This is ability to never give up. Like we want people to come in here, they've decided, okay, we're here, Because we want to build an amazing company that will change the world, that can be big. If we feel the the candidate we're looking at really has that within them, it it counts a lot. Like, just the ability to not give up. Like, people who don't give up, they will eventually achieve something amazing, right? You know, I think, you know, the, the talent and the spike in that part is important, but in the end, what is overshadowing more important than anything else is not giving up. Because people who don't give up, they will achieve something. Amazing eventually and those are really the, the people we're looking for so we have people from all trades and walks of life We have PhDs. We have product people. We have hardcore coders We have people who have been part of like rolling out Uber in India We have a lot of kind of second-generation founders like people who were early part of a successful founding team before for example in Gojek and Grand Taxi and now want to build their own billion billion business we have people from 22 nations on average they have nine years work experience we have about three times the amount of average female co-founders in the team it's still just 25 percent but it's way more than on average and we're trying to increase that the ratio uh, so i think we've been able to put together like a really exciting f- ambitious co-founder group that should build some some really amazing companies here over the next few years right and then we now open up for recruiting for January and we already have a few hundred applications there. So it's going to be exciting to see what we get there in that court. Just a
0: last question before we close. I just want to understand the operations of the programs. So when entrepreneur talent that you come in, what do they go through and what is the investment you put in them
1: and when do they graduate? Yes. They into the real world. Great question. So what we do is, the first thing that happens when people come in is that we spend a lot of time ensuring that everyone gets to know each other, right? So one of the things that I think is true, for example, if you look at, take Mark Zuckerberg as an example. If Mark Zuckerberg, the next Mark Zuckerberg is amongst the 62 founders that we have now here in this cohort, he might not have been the person that people would get to know first. And this is an example I like to give just because it's so important that everyone gets to know each other before they choose which co-founders they're going to work with. So we spend a lot of time doing a number of hackathons, number of sessions for people to get to know each other. Then we start going deep into business models. Like, so what business models should we build? Uh, some ideas come with the co-founders themselves. We have also great venture capital partners. We have corporate partners who come in and support with ideas that they have been working on for a long time in terms of this is where we believe technology can really impact the world in a great way and you can build a great business. And then uh, we've spent a lot of time looking at business models. So we are in the middle of that phase now, right? So we've literally formed the majority of the teams. we formed the majority of the business models. We're now turning through to really make them amazing before after two months, we we decide which one we invest in or not. And our hope is to invest in in most of them. Then we invest $100,000 for 10% of the company. And the founders get to keep 90% of the company, which we think is the right ratio. Uh, and then when we've invested, we really work with them on building and scaling the business as fast as possible. Throughout that process, it's not only the partner group and the venture partner group that supports, but also the advisory team that you can see at Anthrop.co slash team. And on top of that, we're literally, I think, brought in almost every single VC in town. We have VCs flying in from all over the region, a lot of corporates, academic experts, who throughout this whole program held sessions Either office hours with the, the founders or hold sessions on specific topics to upscale the skill sets of the founders, right? So, you know, Lisa will do sessions on growth marketing and JSN will do sessions on product and tech. So we really have some of the kind of best people in the region to also kind of upskill as we build the businesses. But, of course, the core focus is finding the right team setup, find the right business model and then build a business, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're not academic we are, you know, everything we do is kind of focus on building amazing businesses. But at, at, on the road, we want people to learn as much as possible.
0: So most of the successful startup incubators have all eventually end up going upstream into the next level of financing, even to the sort end, so what I call the growth funds. Yeah. So do you foresee yourself going in that direction as well?
1: So we will do it if we believe that it will support our portfolio companies become more successful. And that's, I think, you know, is why a lot of people do it, right? Because the amazing thing is, when you start and you supported building a great group of, of companies, then you'd like to continue to support them longer term. At the same time, you know, our mission is very much at the beginning of the value chain. and That's our core focus and our core competency. So we want to continue to make that the core. So I think whatever we do in later stage, will be more metrics-based. Like, So if you look at, for example, Y Combinator's follow-up fund, they have certain metrics that decides whether they invest or not, Also, which means that they also don't need to cherry-pick what companies they invest in. Because I think if you start cherry-picking companies from your portfolio, the signaling effect to the market of your other portfolio companies is not very strong. So whatever we do in the later stages will be very well thought through, and we will only do it if we believe it will strengthen our core mission, But I think there is definitely some reasons to do that that does have that effect, which actually will make it stronger. I think more than that right now, what we're just focused on on is making the program better and better and then expanding the program into other regions so we can help founders all all across the globe.
0: So, Magnus, many thanks for coming on the show. And in closing, I always like to ask, My guest, two questions. First one: Can you recommend a book, podcast, or anything else that have impacted your work or personal life recently? Yes,
1: of course. You know, everyone should uh, should listen to this podcast and uh, to you know the other members of our team who uh, have been on it before. So, really recommend that. Especially, hopefully, and all the some of my European friends and advisors will be listening to this now. So, you should definitely listen to all the other episodes as well. I really enjoy uh, this NPR podcast called How I Built This, which I think is very exciting to hear like the story from the beginning of of startups. I also really enjoy Reid Hoffman's show about how you scale things fast. I think that is also really well worth listening to. And then in terms of books, you know, uh, there's a lot of, I guess, standard books that everyone, a lot of the listeners will have read, but uh, one, you know, a bit more out of the ordinary, which which I read a few years back, which has meant a lot to me, is Man's Search for Meaning, which is uh, written by an amazing psychologist uh, who was in uh, the war prisoner camps uh, during the, uh, the Second World War. He talks about how having meaning has such a substantial impact on your life and draws a lot of the learnings from there onto how also people are successful in whatever they're trying to do whether that is becoming amazing as an instrument building the world's greatest NGO or just having uh, being an amazing mother or an amazing father so really recommend that book Man's yeah, man search for meaning good recommendation
0: and in addition I would just recommend a recent book that I've read and I think this is very ideal for startups within the major corporations to think about how to scale the business in a hockey stick it's actually written by three McKinsey consultants which I can't remember the name but the title of the book is called Strategy Beyond the Hockey Stick awesome mm. I'll definitely read that as well and my last question how do my audience find you
1: they can find me of course go to andrew.co I'm also super happy we want to talk to as many people as possible so just email me at, at Co. You can also find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. If you want to get all of me, it should be pretty, pretty straightforward. LinkedIn as well, right? <laughs> LinkedIn as well. LinkedIn as well.
0: Okay. You can Google me at Bernard no You know where to find me. Anyway, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, and everywhere else. You can also drop us a comment, give us a five star in the Apple Podcast, and of course a star on Overcast and Pocket Cast. But most importantly, send me your feedback. I think there will be a
1: lot to talk about maybe in another time and I hope to definitely get you back on the show. Great, thank you.